comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. and welcome to the Walking Dead TV Podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined this week by Aaron Newarth. And welcome back, Jim, Jim Dietz. Thanks, I was gone. I had to send a fax to Cleveland. You know how it is. <laughs> that was a long fax. Oh, you know, I like to take my time. Why rush things? No walkers rushed him while he was faxing, so it worked out better. That's, that's probably preferable, uh, since they had two weeks to do it. So uh, it's good to have you back, first off, especially for this episode, which uh, I know I liked quite a bit, and I know Aaron, despite uh, one major reservation, which we'll get into, you liked it quite a bit as well. Jim, what were your thoughts on this week's episode, just generally, and also the last one, uh, which you didn't get a chance to talk about? Well, for the, this episode, I, I want to be the first one to make the joke that everybody ate Chris. Well, maybe the first of us tonight. Yeah, first of us three or whatever. Um I really enjoyed this episode this week. Uh, I liked the Eugene scenes. I liked the Abraham scenes a lot. If I could have reached in and bitch slapped uh, uh, Father Gabriel, I could I would have. But other than that, it's just weird to see Rick Rick and his gang as the villains. You know, from a certain <laughs> point of view. You know, what I mean, it seems like their things are escalating a lot quicker than they did in the storyline from the, the comic that I'm used to. So. Uh, it, it, it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Um, last last week, I thought it was okay. It seemed like it was more of like moving things around, um, you know, progressing storylines, things like that. But this episode, a lot of a lot of solid feces hit the rotary oscillator, as they say. Aaron, what do you think generally? Like you said, I mostly enjoyed the episode. Uh, I did have some reservations about one main scene that we'll get to, and I also, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of father gabriel here in terms of both character wise acting and writing well I, I think everything about him just rings it rings more of this is what needs to happen in plot versus this naturally happened and made sense <laughs> from a, a a good writing standpoint so this may surprise you and by you i mean both uh, aaron and jim and also the listeners I actually kind of really liked their use of Father Gabriel this week in both of his scenes, and if they continue down that plot line with him, I might be okay with it as long as his screen time is limited. I, I know that's weird, but we'll, we'll get into it. But it, it is weird, generally he's I hate the one the that's been pretty outspoken against Father Gabriel. Abs- absolutely, <laughs> can't stand the character. Except in the two scenes he had tonight, one of which I thought worked well from an acting perspective, probably because he didn't speak, and the other I thought worked well from a plot perspective. But we'll, we'll get into that and everything else from this week's episode. So shall we get into it, gentlemen? Let's do it. 
All right, this week's episode, Season 5, Episode 14, was entitled Spend, and it was directed by Jennifer Lynch. Uh, Gentlemen, do you know who Jennifer Lynch is? Daughter of David Lynch. That would be correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, written by Matthew Negrete. And we had a bunch of guest actors. Of course, Tova Felchu as Deanna Monroe, Tyler James Williams as Noah, Alexandra Breckenridge as Jesse Anderson, Daniel Bonjour as Aiden Monroe, Jason Douglas as Tobin, Corey Brill as Pete Anderson, Steve Coulter as Reg Monroe, Major Dodson, the great Major Dodson, as Sam Anderson, Ted Huckabee as Bruce, Dahlia Legault as Francine, and Michael Traynor as Nicholas. I feel like we should, at, when we do these guest cast readings now, we should go, we should move Dodson to the end and say, and Major Dodson. <laughs> and introducing Major Dodson. That's even better. And introducing Special Major Dodson. Star. Not even say the character name, just say, and introducing Major Dodson. I think that should be the entire credit that he gets on the show. I'll second that. That sounds great. Now let's see if I can actually ever remember to do that. <laughs> oh, I'll point it out every week. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Nothing if not consistent. <laughs> so we start with our first of two Father Gabriel scenes. Uh, he's still torn up over his uh, guilt, his loss of faith, and uh, he's walking into his new kind of makeshift church, uh, which is some folding chairs and the one piece of stained glass they could find anywhere, apparently hanging kind of awkwardly from chains. Um, hopefully at which at some point, which will get knocked down and break right over his head. That would make me very happy. He has a Bible with him that has a slightly torn page. And I'm not sure exactly what the intent here was, but he puts a piece of wax paper behind the page uh, before slowly losing it and starting tearing out one page and then two pages. And then eventually he's torn out about half the pages from the Bible. And uh, we cut to our opening credits. And we also see that there was a note left for him with some strawberries from a character who we don't see this episode. Um, but uh, the town is trying to welcome him, and he is having a crisis of crises. I, I was curious about the wax paper, too. I was wondering if it was either like a bookmark thing, or he's like going to trace something, or I don't, I don't know. What. That was, well, the bookmark was one of my thoughts. The other was that maybe because it already appeared there was already a small rip in the page, maybe because uh, it's, what do they call that, onion paper in Bibles, that he was going to somehow repair that page with the mm-hmm. wax paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, clearly, that that didn't work out, if that's what his intent was. I found the scene just very overwrought, very melodramatic. I really didn't like it. I just, him ripping the pages out of the Bible just made me roll my eyes. I understand he's going through a crisis of conscience and a crisis of faith, but there are a hundred different ways, better ways that they could have shown that other than him, you know, standing there ripping pages out of a Bible. I just, it just didn't work for me at all. He also has backup collars, apparently. Is that part of it too? Because he hadn't, because he burned his collar as they were happy Mm -hmm. to point out in the previously on, and then he has a new collar, so he. He's got backups, apparently. Backup so. collars, it's a piece of white cardboard, or the town just happened to have one, I guess. It's funny, it's just the, the show goes out of its way to show him doing something and then inexplicably has him wearing another one, as if we wouldn't remember. And then, yes, you have what Jim described as a very overwrought sequence, which I agree with. It reminds me of Sasha last week, um, which I also remarked against, except that Sonequa Martin-Green, I like that actress in that role more and was able to go with go along with it, whereas this just it's it's already a character I'm not a big fan of and it's taking time away and I'm more curious as to when we're actually going to follow up on this as opposed to what the importance of the scene is because I already understand the importance of it because the show tries to hammer in the same thing all the time with Gabriel because he's a very limited one-note character. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was about the scene, but 
for whatever reason, the tearing the pages out kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that until it started. Um, I think if I had been expecting it, yes, I'd agree. It's, it was certainly overwrought. But because it kind of caught me off guard, it worked for whatever reason. Also, again, he never said a word, and so I didn't have to deal with the awful character that is Gabriel. I mean, in terms of, like, putting together a, a scene and making it cinematic, sure, it, like, works for what it does on its own. It's just more of the context of what I know about this person already. And I honestly did find it pretty predictable. I saw him put the thing down. And I was like, all right, he's either going to, like, put throw the book across the room or, like, rip every page out dramatically. And sure enough, he ripped every page out dramatically. See, I thought he was going to throw that basket of goodies that the woman left for him, like, against a wall or something. Yeah, like, something, really yeah, was, some kind of, like... Yeah some, yeah, some acting out, yeah. I guess I was kind of expecting him to, like, fall on his knees and to go into some ridiculous forgive-me-for-burning-my-original-collar-type thing. Like, if you give me one more chance type deal. Um, so I, I guess I was mostly happy that that didn't happen. Well, plus, I, I would have I mean, liked that because it would have given me something to work with in terms of, oh, he, we, we are acknowledging that he suddenly has a collar again. <laughs> <laughs> well, something I just don't understand his motivation toward what he does at the end of the episode. You know what I mean? I don't understand why after, you know, Rick, Rick and his group kept him, you know, alive all this time, he would, you know, turn around and, and do what he does at the end of the episode. You know what I mean? I mean, I, granted, they've done some crazy things to stay alive, but I mean, nothing that I don't know. I just don't understand. Let's let's yeah. Let's let's get there when we get there uh, because I I think yeah. Okay. So somewhere around the same time, uh, Noah meets with Deanna's husband Reg, who I really like. He hasn't gotten a lot of screen time, but he's just kind of a nice, understated performance, at least from what I what I've seen. Um, And he asks Reg to teach him how to be an architect and how to carry on this legacy because, as far as Noah's concerned, uh, spoilers, he's wrong, but he's in it for the long haul. And uh, Reg seems to appreciate that. And there's some, you know, talk about how Reg always takes notes. And so he writes something in his notebook, uh, tears out the few pages he'd already written in previous to that, and gives it to Noah and says, you're going to need this. I joked with my friends that when Reg wrote down something, it, it was he, he was writing, "I made a black friend today." That's what I was writing. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, I, I like this scene quite a bit, and I really wish it paid off in a way different from how this episode turns out. Because I was like, "Oh, cool, they're giving Noah." Some, and if anything, I should have been wiser to this. But at the same time, all the characters are getting you know stuff to do because you need the show to keep up with the ensemble here. So. I guess it it's okay that I wasn't wiser to what was being set up for down the road in this episode this early on, but I did like the scene. I agree with you, Jordan. I do like Reg. I think he's a he's a he's a solid character. He doesn't he does he does he doesn't seem like he's imposing a certain kind of force or has another agenda or anything. Uh, as opposed to Diana, who I like as well. I really like. Um, she's certainly wiser, and you know she has to play the part of a politician. Reg is more of a you know just a kind of. Not necessarily a Herschel fountain of wisdom, but certainly like a more mature adult that's f- fairly well adjusted given the circumstances. I think I could categorize him as a chill dude. <laughs> yeah, I like to. I mean, <laughs> this this scene was shot. I mean, very very you know, early morning sunlight, very quiet, very pastoral. You know, a lot of two shots. You know, of them in that gazebo or whatever, and it's just such a huge contrast to everything else in this episode. You know, those first few minutes with him and with Reg and Noah. Um, it just really like sets up the other stuff in such you know uh, better relief, I guess later. But I mean, again, what Aaron is saying, you know, I guess I should have seen what happens later coming from this, you know, from them actually spending some time with the character for a few minutes. 
But Aaron does make a really good point in that they've found a good way to hide that by giving everyone jobs and spending time with everyone, not in every episode, but everybody's getting something to do. And so it hides the normal, oh, someone's expressing uh, you know, aspirations for the future or someone's got plans now or whatever. That must mean they're going to die because everyone's doing that. So it is good. For sure. And we'll get to it with Noah, but the show doesn't really have much use for him, which makes sense why he's the one to go at this point, given the rest of the ensemble. It it all it adds up in my eyes, you know, in hindsight because hindsight's twenty twenty, of course. But it 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 was it was well handled in terms of making me think one thing and then get surprised by something later on. Right. We uh, we skipped over one thing too. Daryl left the compound with Aaron. Oh, yeah. Riding on the, of course, the loudest vehicle possible during this. <laughs> it <bus>. was <laughs> super loud. It was a nice looking bike though. Yeah, it's, that was kind of just I don't want to say throwaway because obviously it's setting up the plot for you know next week's episode or the finale. But yes, he he and Aaron uh, head out to find more people. And it's just, you know, a reminder that this is what happened with Daryl last week, and this is why he's not in this episode. It's, you know, it's, right. a, it's a quick scene. It's just also, it seems even louder than his other motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't this, like, probably the third or fourth episode of the series that has started with Daryl riding off on a motorcycle with someone following him in a car, and then they don't appear again for the rest of the episode? Yeah, it's weird. You'd almost think that means that, like, Norman Reedus is busy filming things, except he's not busy filming anything <laughs> except this show. <laughs> well, he is making silent Hill 3, or the new okay, Silent yeah, Hill. Silent Hill, right? Uh, Hideo Kojima's uh, version of Silent Hill. But yeah, it's like, uh, here's your Daryl Dixon moment, everyone. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so we then catch up with Rick, who is making his uh, rounds of the town, which in general must be the most boring thing ever. Uh, but he finds himself uh, over at uh, Jesse's house, not exactly surprising, and he sees her working on one of the sculptures, which has been vandalized, the owl, which we've seen a few times, and uh, Rick offers to find a culprit and asks if she has any enemies. Uh, she brushes off his, his concerns, though, and uh, it's just kind of your general, you know, they're flirting, but they can't flirt, but he's trying to be a nice guy, but at the same time, is she hiding something because who, you know, busted up this out? It's, it's a typical type scene, but well acted between the two of them. Yeah, there's, I mean, this isn't as quote-unquote intense or whatever you want to call it as last week's like you know rick and jesse encounter each other way too much and <laughs> things develop there's more of just a hey you know we're kind of you know friends here romantic tension mm-hmm. don't talk about my husband <laughs> later on in the day uh pete comes over to rick's house with a beer well with two beers one he's drinking and one he offers and never actually gives to rick uh rick doesn't really want it uh pete is pretty well I wouldn't say wasted, but he's drunk enough at this point, and uh, he says to Rick, we should be friends, and you should bring your kids in for a checkup to my drunk doctor's practice, and uh, then Pete leaves, and Rick kind of watches him out the window and fiddles with his wedding ring. He he leaves and gives him, like, the, the, the big hard pat on the shoulder that's too hard than necessary to, like, indicate, hey, we are friends, and more of like, a, You're, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a dick to you because that's who I am. What I just... type of dick? <laughs> porch dick of course <laughs> it just seems like he's hiding something beyond his you know obvious tension with rick for you know over their wife over his wife or whatever you know well he even mentions i saw you at the party and then he kind of plays it off like he wasn't talking about rick kissing jesse which he probably wasn't but still was probably talking about rick and jesse just in general you know etc there's See, subtext there yeah i mean i was talking last because i didn't watch the scene from last week before i was talking about 
Pete being somewhat in the right. But now the show's like, no, he's a wife beater, giving us plenty of excuse to hate this person. But yes. at the same time, it's like, at the, there's, a, there's a side of me that's like, well, Rick is moving in on this other guy's wife. But now the show's like, don't worry about that, guys. We're hammering it home that Pete is not a good guy. Complete <laughs> freedom to hate this person and allow Rick to make out with other people's wives because it's okay. <laughs> They're certainly, and we'll get to this, they're certainly making us think he's a bad guy. But at least as far as this episode goes, I think they're leaving it open enough to that this could just be a misinterpretation of what's actually going on. Uh, and, and Carol, I trust. So I'm, I'm happy if, they, if, they see, if she sees signs, I see signs. Generally, I agree with you. But here's hoping that they either do exactly what it looks like they're doing and do it well, or throw us some type of curve, because that's always fun. A curve would be fun, yeah. I, I mean, if, if Rick is actually, you know, is mowing on another guy's lawn, there's fun expressions to use. And, like, he's actually <laughs> just a drunkard, but not actually a wife beater. Then good on the show for making me have conflicted feelings about how Rick's actions affect the rest of the show. Like, it makes him a more interesting character in that way. But for the time being, I'm just going to assume The Walking Dead's being The Walking Dead and just making it easy for us to root for the lead characters. Right. I mean, it would also work well for this whole plot line of... Uh, the Alexandrians having reason to distrust Rick and the group, especially if they're jumping to, oh, this guy's probably a wife beater, let's murder him. Oh, for sure, yeah, regardless of whether or not he is a wife beater, the fact that Rick and Carol are discussing the means that they're going to go to to stop him certainly puts them at, it has the potential among the other things that are going on in this episode to put them at odds with the group so it creates conflict in some way. Right. So Glenn, Noah, Terry, Eugene, Aiden, and Nicholas Dream head team. out <laughs> head out yeah. to a dubstep team, dub, team dubstep, uh, or the van team. I guess you call them the B team. They are we, in a in a van. We need T, we need Tara because she'd make a great anagram for this whole thing because we don't have Gratem anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at the letters right now. Oh, dude, this will be quick. Okay. Uh, team Tegan. Tegan. Yeah. All right. Uh, they head out to a warehouse from a local uh, solar panel distribution warehouse service, which is lucky that that's nearby. Although I guess it makes sense, given the nature of this town, what it was originally intended for. It would make sense to build it uh, near a repository for those parts, because uh, we learned earlier in the episode, but the town has been having some problems with its uh, solar power grid recently. And who better to help fix that than Eugene, who knows exactly what parts they need? Uh, micro inverters for anyone who's uh, curious about that. So they're going to head to this warehouse and scavenge parts to repair that solar power system. Well, we also have to make a note here how how uh, you know Eugene impresses uh, time and time again that he's a coward um, because and, he's and he's not very, ashamed of that. That's who he is. Not, no, he, he freely admits it, and uh, he tries to get out of going with the group, and you know tries everything he can to you know winnow his way out of it. But they do have that one line about how they've been collecting yellow pages when they find them on raids. So maybe that was oh, I missed that. Able- yeah, they said, because uh, Aiden is running down the list of stuff he's supposed to look for while they're out, and that's one of the things he says is yellow pages, so maybe that's how they found the warehouse. Oh, that's really smart if that's what they're doing. I had missed that line, but I like that uh, logic. I, uh, I've i been enjoying the Tara and Eugene scenes. I think they are they have good chemistry together, and I think the show recognizes that pretty uh, easily, and uh, it's been working out. And his mullet looks fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Way better <laughs> than Hugh Jackman's mullet and Chappie. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> So they head out to the warehouse in a big uh, tan paneled van with a eagle or some type of outstretched wing bird on the side, listening to dubstep very loudly. Um, and they get to the warehouse. They find that the front is infested with walkers. 
Um, so they're going to have to go in through the back where they find some more walkers, but they're at least behind a cage, so they're no immediate threat. And so they decide the best course of action is to move quickly, uh, spread out, find the parts they need, and get out of there before something terrible happens. Well, there's, there's a whole tension, too, between what Glenn wants to do and what Aiden wants to do. Or Although, saying- to be fair... Aiden does stick up for Glenn, and it's really right. Nicholas who's the one who's being the jerk this time. It right. seems like there's, there's a conscious right. effort. There's a conscious effort being made to acknowledge that how things went last time versus how things go this time, and maybe it is a good idea to listen to people that are experienced, regardless of how disastrous things go in the long run of things. It's I, I did like that there is like this kind. Of, they could have they could have easily played it as Aiden still being like a huge porch dick. But instead, it was more of like he's giving in fairly quickly, which, again, is a giant indicator that nothing's going to go right because nothing ever does go right in these kind of plans. <laughs> but, but also shows that he was willing to listen to, if not reason, at least the alpha who can knock him down with one punch. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's not going to go after Glenn again, at least. To, well, he definitely won't go after Glenn again after this episode. No. Sorry, Jerry. But uh, he, he wouldn't have if he kept going. Yes. <laughs> Choke on them. So they spread out to find the parts. Uh, Tara and Eugene find the microinverters. Things are looking pretty good until a zombie in riot gear or police, you know, SWAT type gear, armored like we saw kind of at the prison, comes out and uh, Aiden tries to take it down. It's not working. Glenn warns him, "Let it get closer to you. Let it get closer to you. That's the way to take these ones down." I have experience with this. Uh, Aiden does not listen and panics and fires and hits one of the grenades on the uh, the zombie's chest. It explodes, and that's where everything goes to hell. That was it. Was a good cut. That was a good cut. Yeah. I mean, in terms, as far as like what what's going to happen next, it's like, oh, that's a new one. <laughs> the guy accidentally shoots a grenade, sends everything to hell. Oh my god. Which I don't know if that works, in, you know, real life science wise. But I don't really care. It was pretty. Oh cool. yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and, and I gotta say, for anyone who's ever had a warehouse job or a uh, you know retail job that has a warehouse in the back, which most resale establishments do. That, that's a great uh, set piece for a zombie attack. Like, those places are just creepy. You can't see very well. It's rows and rows. It was a really good choice to n- shoot there, but it was also shot there really well to give you that claustrophobia and that sense of the unknown. It, it was. I really liked the set piece. I liked the set pieces pretty much throughout this episode, if we're being honest. We get to some really cool ones later on. It, it did feel a little bit like like old Metal Gear games or old video games where there's like walls in your way and you don't have a jump mm-hmm. button because there's points where the characters are like there's boxes and they're like you can't get around the boxes alright or at least push them over or like yeah, yeah. anything because they're like, they're like there's Tara I can't get her and it's like dude it's a box like just move like what are you doing <laughs> press A yeah I was going to say that I, in, in Left 4 Dead you can shoot a grenade if you can do it there, it's true. Fair game in Walking Dead. <laughs> so Tara is hit in the head, um, and she is critically wounded. Aiden is apparently killed by the blast, and the explosion also weakens the cage that had those zombies that were in it before. And so they start uh, entering the warehouse and 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 you know searching for our group. I don't know if searching is the right word, but it's the worst version of Pac-Man possible. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, that would have been terrible, but awesome at the same time if they had an overhead Pac-Man style shot at some point. Mostly terrible. Going, waka, 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 waka. I found the banana, guys. I found the banana. <laughs> so the group uh, falls back to a small office in the back, and that's when they find out Aiden's still alive when he regains consciousness. I'm not dead yet. Uh, to, <laughs> could to get better. Point two. Um, um, what's his name? Eugene manages to get to, to get Tara into the to the office with him. 
Yes, they, they do take her as well after uh, Noah and a couple others uh, take out the zombies that were close to her, and they get there. So, uh, Glenn, Noah, and Nicholas go to save Aiden, while well, Eugene's going to stay with Tara. Just to stop real quick, I, I think that's important because Eugene, when he's getting Tara the first time, he's having a lot of trouble taking out walkers because he's, you know, a coward. As he's, I mean, the, the part of the arc of this episode is involving Eugene and his, you know, rising up. And so when he's trying to get Tara initially, he panics, and the others have to save both him and her in order to retrieve Tara. Moving on. Okay, I just want to clear that. No, no, that's a, it's an important point to make, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, Tara, like we said, critically wounded. She's bleeding quite badly from the head. Um, they have her kind of stabilized, but Aiden had the only medical pack, which seems to have been destroyed in the blast. The only other one is in the van. So they're going to go save Aiden while Eugene stays with her, and then they're all going to try to make their way back to the van. They can't go out the front because of all the zombies. That's at least the plan. They head over to Aiden, and Tara, uh, Tara and Eugene are left by themselves, and eventually the zombies are getting close, and Eugene has to make a split decision. At first, it looks like he's going to leave Tara, but then we see he's carrying her on her, his shoulder as he makes his way out of the warehouse, and he's forced to take down several zombies clumsily, but he manages to do it, both internally by making himself do it, but also he manages to actually kill them or, and disable Pathetic them. Pathetic technique, not one headshot. Uh, no, there, there was a headshot. After the second zombie after, was a headshot. After he downed him, though, after he got him in the uh, abdomen, I mean, still counts at least by bad, GTA rules. Bad, bad technique, bad form. I know he's a coward. But come <laughs> on, tell me a geek like that never played Call of Duty. <laughs> the real deal, different. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. I'm, you're joking. It's I am joking, my friends. I have some levity to the proceedings. So, meanwhile, Glenn and the others get to Aiden, who has been impaled by uh, two big pieces of metal. It looks like he's been kind of pushed back into one of the shelves, which is all twisted. And now he's got metal from the shelves sticking through him and kind of holding him not only in place, but also making it so they have to to remove him from them. They have to lift him up and off at the same time. It's uh, a no-win. With all win. his gear and everything. It's yes. a no-win, because even if they yeah. get him off, then he's going to be bleeding everywhere. So it's yeah. like, there's, there's like no... It's like, I'm looking at this like, there's no way to see this guy. <laughs> the, best, oh, boy. the best part was, like, uh, Glenn saying, I need you to be quiet, okay? <laughs> I need you to be quiet while we pull you off of this thing. I'm just like, yeah, that's that's not on the, that's not in the plan. I mean, but he yeah, was. And it, but... It, it, it never seems, like, unbelievable, because I can understand the stress of the situation in terms of, like, Glenn being who he is. It's like, I want to save this person, it could have helped if, like, he got something for him to bite on or something and this kind of thing, and even the unrealistic nature of trying to save this person. It's a tough thing to, you know, have to deal with. But I, I was I was into the scene because it made sense given the kind of exasperated uh, attitudes of everybody involved. And, like, it's like, we need to uh, – this is there's a lot of stuff going on, but we got to do this because we're good people. Yes, it's worth noting that they are on a time crunch. The zombies are closing in on them, and they are trying to get him off this metal and out of the building as fast as possible so they can get back to Eugene and Tara. Um, and they still have to submit their March Madness that. brackets. I mean, there's no time for anything, really. No. <laughs> so uh, the walkers are closing in. They're taking out as many of them as they can. They're running out of ammo. Uh, Nicholas panics and flees, um, and so Glenn and Noah are going to have to uh, abandon Aiden. But before they do, uh, he admits that th- those people of theirs that who had died on the supply run that they had you know strung the zombie up as it wasn't because the people they were with had panicked and died it was because he and nicholas had panicked and left them and that was why they died it was all their fault making complete sense for everybody involved yes (laughs) so glenn and noah have to abandon them they run away and he is torn apart alive by walkers very reminiscent of uh, some kills from the fantastic and underrated uh, early romero movie of day of the dead which i recommend to everyone Choke on them. <laughs> yeah, this scene, like this scene, 
I liked a lot. Like it be, beyond like getting rid of a character that nobody liked, and we don't have to, you know, it means we don't have to deal with them, you know, week after week. It's like, why isn't this guy dead already? It is a scene that homages Day of the Dead. It's gore. It's gory for the sake of gore, which is not terrible because it fits kind of the tone of that scene. It's not. And gory. one of the most gory scenes we had seen for a long time on the show, true. at least in my that's, memory. That's De- the point I was going to make. Yeah. They really brought on the gore this episode. Start. I mean, with this scene and Noah's scene later, especially. I mean, these. They really poured it on this week. We really haven't seen a lot recently. And it helped because what because they were homaging Day of the Dead pretty openly. They were using a very bright blood mixture, which really stands out and mm. is reminiscent of that movie. It's sort of like you know the beginning of Savior Private Ryan or something. Um, instead of desaturating it, though, it's just really bright red blood. Now, to be clear, I like this scene, and I like the gore involved. I'm all about zombie gore when you get good gore. I'll leave it right there for now because we're going to get to another <laughs> scene soon. <laughs> so, oh, are you right. saying we're going to pick up that thread momentarily? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they can't get out the back they run to the front where we get to probably my favorite set piece of the episode which is the revolving door which again I really like the warehouse I thought that was a really smart move this though is brilliant it's a fantastic idea yeah. so Nicholas tries to go out first and uh, the zombies are there so he starts turning back in at the same time Glenn and Noah uh, are being pushed back by the zombies so now if you can picture a you know plus sign uh, from an overhead shot of a revolving door with four sections Noah is in one there's an empty section next to him on both sides and across from him are Noah and Glenn and now they are trapped with the openings to on either side to the zombies and them kind of trapped in these more or less triangular prisons What's amazing is that I have no idea how these characters are going to get out of the situation. That's what makes it just such a great set piece right there. I mean, it's already a clever idea, and it's like, I don't I don't know what could happen to get these people out. I understand Eugene's out there somewhere. I understand that these guys are capable. But in the moment, I have no idea what's going to have to, have to go down in order to get these people out of this very, very sticky situation. I could not agree with you more. And it's such a chaotic situation. Like, even Glenn, who's usually the cool coper, is... You know, dumbfounded for a way, you know, an exit strategy. It just, it, it was a very tense, chaotic situation. It was a good scene. And we should also mention Glenn and Noah have the guns. N- Nicholas has all the ammo, so they can't yeah. even shoot their way out. So Glenn eventually decides, okay, I'm going to try to knock out one of the glass panes um, from this door and we'll go at it from there. Well, Nicholas starts panicking. He starts pushing his way out of the revolving door, which leaves Glenn and Noah both uh, vulnerable. Um, And the walkers grab Noah. Uh, Glenn tries to pull him back. And uh, it's pretty clear that that's not going to work. And Noah tells him, don't let go. And more meanings than just one there. And then he's pulled back into the crowd of zombies, uh, leaving Glenn more or less safe because the door kind of snaps back. But then in a moment, I know it's controversial, but I got to say, I loved it kind of this reminded me of alien alien style noah is thrust back through the group of walkers as they thrust forward at him into the glass where glenn can, and us as the audience can fully see it and he is ripped apart in a gory scene that makes aiden's death look kind of tame um is i think probably by far the most brutal death we've ever seen on the show as he is kind of this dark twisted mirror of glenn through the glass kind of a la last week's scene with the wall and rick and the zombie now, I completely understand the intent of the scene. That is, that is not the issue that I have. What they're trying to do is show you how just horrific this experience is, The what, what Glenn is taking away from it, given his horrified expression, 
how unfortunate it is to see this happen, how much anger you and frustration you have with the characters that, you know, led them to this situation. All of that makes perfect sense to me. I have no problem, as I said before, gore is not a problem for me either. It is not a matter of the violence being depicted in this show because I've been watching the show and I, you know, love it more or less and appreciate everything that Greg Nicotero has done on this show and everything before and after. It's the tone of the scene. And for me, watching Noah, a fairly likable character, be, like, devoured by zombies in the fashion that he is and the way it's shown, it just went so over the top for me that it almost felt laughable. It's like, why are we seeing so much of this compared to seeing something much more frightening, which I thought would be him just being dragged away and keeping the camera just solely focused on Glenn's face as he watches this person he cares about be torn apart by zombies. That's the horror for me. And I feel like the scene wanted to get a horror across as opposed to this kind of mix of both the creativity of the Walking Dead zombie kills and the and the attempt at the horror as well. I'm kind of on the same page with you. I mean, the gore doesn't bother me. I mean, for, for Pete's sake, when I was 11 years old, I snuck in to see Scanners you know, just to watch the head explode, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the the gore didn't bother me at all. It was the tone. I mean, we'd just seen Aiden ripped apart the same way in, in you know, or not the same way, but, you know, in, in an equally horrifying graphic scene. And then this just seemed like, it, it just seemed like it was, it was too much. I agree, it would have been much more effective just to show reaction. You know, like maybe him dragged off into the into the crowd of zombies, maybe a stain on the wall left behind, and like you know, Glenn's expression as as this happens to him. I just thought I don't want to use the word gratuitous, but but it, taste it wise, is. no, it's, that's yeah. Stylistically, it just seemed like too much. It like seemed and, like all all icing, very little cake. You know what I mean? And a bit redundant. I mean, we just saw no, Aiden get killed exactly. pretty much the same way, and it it reminded me of when like T Dog and Lori died, where it's like, how much death do we need in this episode? Like, what one seems to cancel out the other if you're supposed to care about both, especially in you know the ways that they're being. At least the Lori scene that was much harsher, given the the context of the scenario of the, of a of a child having to kill his mother who's pregnant with a, with another child. Yeah. I mean that, that's a lot to deal with. This is this is like all right, we got this really really gory Aiden scene and now we have this really really gory Noah Noah scene and it's like I I just didn't know what we were adding to the sequence by having so much of like seeing no like the up close shot of Noah's face being torn apart is like all right, I get it. You're good at this. I know that. I've been watching the show for 5 seasons. Well, I totally respect you guys' opinion and realize that there are a lot of people who agree with you. I I thought this was amazing. Like I totally get exactly what you're saying. It just for me it wasn't too much. It worked for me. As a viewer, as, as a, you know, with Glenn being our stand-in more or less, he's the everyman. Um I was right there in his shoes as far as I was concerned and I thought it was terrifying. But I I get why I get why you think it's too much. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just happen to disagree. I yeah, I understand that. And it's just yeah, and I again, I get the I get the intent of the scene and it's more of something I I can appreciate what the show wanted to do. I just disagree with how it did it. <laughs> and it's just you really I mean, it, it's, that, it's a subjective sty- argument. It's, yeah, it's more of a stylistic difference than a substantive one, you know. Uh, yeah, as I far mean, as no... my, you know, my my perspective, it just seemed stylistically to be too much. Too, you know, it just, um, yeah. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, 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 that's fine. So while this is happening, Nicholas runs around to get to the van and tells Eugene they have to leave immediately and leave the others behind. Uh, Eugene refuses, and Nicholas pulls him out of the van and tries to leave without him, which has uh, Eugene attempt to pull a gun on him. It doesn't really work well, but Glenn shows up just in time and knocks Nicholas unconscious, and they uh, all get back in the van and head back to Alexandria, where uh, Eugene continues to hold a gun on an unconscious Nicholas in the back of the van. 
we do get and like as as much as I you know griping about the Noah death scene, Glenn's. Glenn hasn't had like a lot to do uh, this season either. Like among like he's been more or less, he's been more or less mini Rick in terms of kind of the things he's dealing with emotionally and how he responds to them. Like mini Rick in like early seasons, as terms of kind of him being this average guy put into this spectacularly terrible scenario again and again. And it's unfortunate because the show understands that Glenn is so much of a good guy that it has to challenge him constantly. So seeing him in this episode where he's essentially being very Rick-like in terms of leading a group, having a plan, attacking that plan, trying to keep everyone alive, failing in certain extents, it's pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And so you get to that scene where you, where he knocks out Nicholas. He could easily kill him. He could easily go over the line, you know, go go from Rick to Shane and and just murder this person. But he doesn't. And so it does, it does you know, it it gives you an impression of who Glenn is and who he wants to be. And he clearly doesn't want to be the guy that takes justice into his own hands at this point. He still wants to be a person that is reasonable, even in a time of great panic and despair and what have you. And I, I appreciate that. I do like that. The, I mean, there's only so much you can do for each of the, for the ensemble cast in the show and for having Glenn only be able to accomplish so much. It does do a good job without having to, you know, give us an entire Glenn episode to spell it out. So back in Alexandria, or I guess technically outside of Alexandria, but uh, we meet up with Abraham, and this all of these plot lines are kind of happening, you know, cut back and forth, but this is all the Abraham stuff altogether. Abraham is working as part of a work crew, building a new section of walls to expand Alexandria's borders, and they're picking up sections of, of walls and putting them in. Um, the group is being led by Tobin, who I don't think I mentioned in last week's episode, but we did, we were introduced to him. The show did, uh, did economically uh, introduce him uh, in a scene with Carol back at the uh, gun storage uh, locker and the food lockup, if you will. So one of the guys from the group who seems to be more or less Abraham's kind of study buddy, if you will, kind of his, his partner in this says, Hey, I got to run and send a fax to Cleveland. And uh, he goes off in the woods to take care of his business. And Abraham is a, seeming to have a mini panic attack, I guess you could say, he, but he pulls himself together for the most part. Uh, he sees some birds flying out of the woods, which should have been his first clue, and is our first clue that zombies are right around the corner, and then uh, the guy who I believe his name is Bruce runs out and uh, is being followed by zombies who, who cut him off midstream apparently, and uh, the, the group works on trying to save him, but eventually, very quickly, they uh, they embrace the flight response, which seems to be the Alexandrian creed in general, and uh, Abraham is left to rush in alone and saves the guy and kills a whole bunch of walkers, which inspires the rest of the crew to fight back and help him. And there's also this woman, Francine, who is uh, taking kind of a sniper lookout position from inside the buckets of one of the uh, heavy equipment trucks. Um, but uh, I forget who was it, Tobin, who accidentally shoots the... Uh the, the hydraulic line. Someone shoots the hydraulic Probably. line and she's dumped out. So Abraham has to save her as well. And they st- uh, strike up a, a you know small bond in the few moments we have with them. And by the end, uh, Abraham comes and yells at Tobin. Tobin's kind of like, oh, Francine's fine. You don't worry about it. And then she knocks him down cold and Abraham takes over. One thing I love that the like the right before the commercial break, it was mother dick like that. Can, can we talk about this for a few minutes? So first off. <laughs> I, I've probably said this on some podcasts somewhere or another. I hate boulderization, censorship in general. If you're going to say something, say it. I understand television and how these things work and people get offended. But it, if people talk a certain way when they talk in a way that no one ever talks, that just bothers me. Don't censor things for, for that reason. However, with that said, 
I hope Mother Dick catches on so much because that was hilarious, especially when he says it again. I want that to become normal vernacular in the English language. I think it is. It seems like a thing Abraham would say, though. It doesn't feel like he's not saying Mother Effer. I think I think that's just I, I think Abraham has a, would have a sense of humor about the way he approaches swearing in some instances as opposed to another character that will. And he committed to it so much. You know, Cutlass committed to it so much, in yes. the, it's particularly in the first one that I was like, I buy it. I don't that, care what that phrase is or how stupid it sounds. I love it. Because Cutlass knows how to make. I mean, <laughs> Abraham may not be the deepest of characters, but it's the kind of it's the casting of Michael Cutlass that makes it work as well as it does. And it, it uh, I, I loved it. I loved when he said it. I love that it, it just became Mother game on time. Dick. <laughs> and then he, he he grabs one of the. I guess it was a kind of a, a spotlight. Uh, I forget what you call those, but it's just a, a light on a tripod that you can set up to light up your work environment, and he essentially uses it as a mace to take down a bunch of zombies. That was pretty awesome. They were with lining Francine, up for like, him. backing him up, yeah. Yeah, with Francine backing him up, they were, like, lining him up. He's like, okay, I'll take these, and you take the far ones, I'll take the close ones, and it just seemed like they were, you know, <laughs> lining up to get beat in the head by... <laughs> Is this was, the first was... time Beast... We we haven't. I mean, we've seen Abraham kill zombies, and I mean, if anything, we've seen him kind of almost screw up killing zombies because he kind of slipped and fell on one one instance, and like Sasha cut him on the arm while he was fighting off zombies. Another. This seems like the first time in a while where he's like really taken charge in terms of mowing down walkers. Uh, that I can remember. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably in the first time we were introduced to him, we saw some of that with with just traditional guns. That's the uh, first time this- in a while. Yeah. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I can't think of anything in between those. You know, it definitely some zombie fights, but nothing nothing quite so up close and personal or extensive yeah. as this. No, um, I wanted to ask, like, before when, when he's, like, kind of having the panic attack or whatever, is that supposed to be, like, a representation of, like, PTSD? I think pretty much everybody in the group is experiencing that to some level at this point. I think, I think it's a mix of, like, a number of things. I mean, they have PTSD. Yeah, again, that's pretty much every character in some way or another, but it's also... Being in Alexandria and having this kind of position, still having the sense of loss in terms of what happened with him and Eugene, because he doesn't have a, a sense of purpose, which is what, which is why this arc is really cool, even though it's small. It's that he, you know, becomes the foreman and takes charge in the zombie fights and everything. Like he, he finds purpose again. So this was kind of a start to that, where you watch him still be kind of lost and now dealing with this kind of. He has all these memories that we saw before about his family and what, like, it's just all this stuff coalescing in his mind. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life right now. And then that turns around as the episode progresses. Later on, we see Tobin again. He was the guy who got uh, knocked down and uh, Abraham took over his position. And uh, he heads over to Deanna Reg and Maggie and he steps down. He resigns his position. I was actually kind of surprised that he, he took it like man and didn't didn't try to make out like uh, he was, you know, the victim or something like that. He said Abraham is better at this job than he is, and he's a better leader, and he should be allowed to lead. And Deanna agrees to promote Abraham, but privately she talks to Maggie, and she voices her concerns about the whole thing, and that it seems like your people are taking a lot of leadership positions really, really quickly, which is true, um, and this concerns her. I, I love that Tobin is not only the guy that got punched by Abraham in the face, but instead of being a, a porch dick about it, he's like, you know what? I'm not good at this. <laughs> like, just re- like that's so that's such a like an opposite reaction to pretty much any other kind of dickish character on this show. It's like you know what, he has a point, and I deserve to get punched in the face for that. <laughs> so never, never mind, I'm gone. And it was just super unexpected. I mean, nothing against the actor, but he just has that kind of you know image about him that he seems like he would be the tough guy character, kind of the hard ass. It seems to be the type of character he might get typecast as a lot. And I think I've seen him in other things. So to have him take the exact opposite approach was really refreshing. 
Yeah. Well, also, I mean, it really is is showing us how much the Alexandrians are kind of, I don't want to say afraid of Rick in this group, but like how they, how, I mean, there's that whole scene where he's talking to, uh, to Jesse's husband, um, the doctor, and he's saying, you know, that, you know, you, I know you people, you know, they don't think we've lost anything, but we've lost things, you know, and Rick's just giving him this look like, yeah, you don't know, buddy, you know? So, I mean, I think it's really showing how the Alexandrians are maybe, um, I don't know if afraid or apprehensive of them, of Rick's and his group is the right word, but they definitely... They're willing, they're willing to submit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they know that Rick and his group have, have done and survived a lot uh, harder, you know, a road than they have. You know what I mean? They've had it relatively cushy since the zombie apocalypse began. So, I mean, I think that's where that guy was coming from on that. He kind of has, um, you know, that kind of apprehensiveness about Rick and his group, and, and he knows that they, you know, that that he would do, he even says, you know, I know he'll do a better job than I will, you know, and that's because, I mean, just showing the, the difference between the Alexandrians and Rick's group, I mean, what they've had to go through since all this went down. Well, and also an interesting thing I took away from the whole construction, you know, massacre section of the episode was the Alexandrians, at least the ones who were there, seem to have a hunger for strong leadership. Like, they seemed very quick to, when Abraham stu- stood up and, you know, did what he did, to follow him. It, what, it didn't seem like the rest of that group was apprehensive. They saw a strong leader and were quick to go, hey, I'm going to stick with this guy. He seems smart, which, you know, works on a number of different levels, but also makes it seem like it's going to be good for the show because we have so many alpha characters, you know, be it Carol or Daryl or you know, Rick or, you know, Tyrese who's gone now, but Abraham or Michonne. Yeah, divide it them gives up. them all yeah. the use because if this group of Alexandrians is so willing to be followers, which is not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, it helps that they're all followers because our group is so many leaders. I keep thinking of the, uh, the metaphor of sheep and wolves. Yeah. You know, Rick and his group have had to become wolves because they've had to scavenge and live off the land like that, and they've become sheep because they lived in a pen. You know, so how I don't know. How convenient that that will tie into the wolves plot <laughs> that's coming yes, later Yes, how about on. that? <laughs> oh, sorry. And honestly, anybody that sees, like, a person, like, swinging a mace-like thing and knocking out, like, 15 walkers in a row, you pretty much want to choose <laughs> that guy as your leader. I don't think anyone's going to debate that. <laughs> no, yeah. but, but, I mean, it's, it's worth noting that they didn't display apprehension or fear. Oh, of yeah, him. I get what you're saying. That's you know. completely valid. I, I completely agree. It's like, yeah, we, we we should follow this guy. That makes sense to us. Like He it, seems to know what he's doing. Yeah. And then even after the – it's not like it's like, all right, let's go home. That was a tough day. Like, it's Abraham was like, all right, let's do this. Let's get this going. I kept thinking he was going to give, like, a Tommy Lee Jones in the Fugitive speech or something. It's like, all right, got to set up perimeters. Five it's like, let's do this. Let's keep, <laughs> let's keep working, guys. So later on, uh, we're back at uh, Deanna and Reg's house when Father Gabriel shows up to speak privately with Deanna. And he warns her not to tr- trust Rick and his group as they've done terrible things. And he keeps making all kinds of the devil comes in the form of an angel of light type uh, claims. And and these people are just here to, to do terrible things. And you don't know them like I do. And they're terrible. And, and then we pan over and see Maggie coming up stairs from uh, from the basement and she overhears at least the important parts of the conversation and she knows things are about to get pretty bad or theoretically could get pretty bad because while Deanna doesn't initially want to believe him by the end of the scene she's at least she says she's taking it into consideration and it doesn't seem like she's just saying that to get him to leave it seems like she's legitimately weighing what he has to say it's the kind of scene where it's like, and Noah's the guy that died? Like, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the reaction I had. <laughs> Look, I'm just, uh, again, to go back to Gabriel, I can't stand the character. I don't like how he's been acted. That said, if they're going to lean into him being terrible like this, 
hey, maybe it works. As long as they kill him off quickly or shuffle him off to the background, great. At least they're recognizing that he's awful. Let him be the instrument of awfulness on purpose. Our final story of the episode is Carol's story, which had all the ingredients, get it, ingredients, because they're cooking, of a story I would hate, but I actually really liked it. Um, And that's because uh, Carol is uh, continually uh, visited by Jesse's son, Sam. Generally can't stand small children, uh, particularly in media, but this worked for me. And he keeps asking for more cookies. Um, And in order to get rid of him, Carol eventually says she will only make cookies for him if he manages to steal two bars of chocolates from the town's food storage, one for the cookies and one for Carol. So when he comes back, uh, Carol agrees to bake the cookies, and uh, Sam keeps pestering with, with questions, even though she clearly doesn't want to answer them. And the scene's kind of played mostly comical for the first three quarters of it, or, or the scenes in general, um, with her just not wanting to be bothered by this kid and this kid who's just generally being kind of a nice kid pestering her. He eventually asks her why she stole the guns, and Carol replies that she needed them in case she needs to protect herself. And Sam asks Carol if he can have one of the guns and admits he broke Jesse's statue, um, but he ran. He runs off when Carol asks him why. Yeah, he says he likes to break things when he's upset. And, you know, the only thing that we know of that's been broken in this episode was an owl. So. And our hearts would know it died. Put two and two together. Carol eventually goes to the Anderson home to try and talk to Sam or Jesse, and Pete coldly turns her away, which arouses her suspicions due to her, her history and knowledge of those type of situations. And so when Rick returns home for the day, Carol tells him she has reason to believe that Pete is abusing Jesse and maybe Sam, and the only way to stop him is to kill Pete. Our nice little kind of Lady Macbeth moment, but uh, for a good cause, theoretically, again, if the show is going in the direction that Carol is pushing it. And it's not a misdirect. But that is how the episode ends, with Rick having even more reason now to want to get rid of Pete. Yeah, harsh harsh stuff there. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, though. I liked I liked the kind of comical uh, relationship between, you know, the, the, the odd couple relationship of Carol and Sam. And then when it took that turn, it was just gradual enough and just believable enough um, and just dark enough to make that whole thing pay off in a really good way and, and bring us to this, uh, you know, plot conclusion or, or pl- episode conclusion, if not the actual conclusion of the plot. It, it certainly, it does a good job of kind of setting up where things are headed. I mean, between this and the death of uh, Deanna's son now and the Father Gabriel stuff, it's like if there's only two episodes left here. So if you need to, if there's a way to build tension, this is certainly, a, you know, a good way to do it. <laughs> like right. you're, you're really giving us a lot to work with as to how to how to how to create a kind of confrontation between Rick's group and the Alexandrians if that is going to happen or you know leave it lingering for you know later on like we don't know where this is going to go and we still don't know about this you know the wolves thing that might or may not happen by the end of the season but there's a lot of setup here which I'm enjoying and let's not forget Tara who's in critical condition at best like there's a lot of plates in the air right now it's it's interesting too i mean look at it from their the Alexandrians' point of view De- you know Deanna's son is is dead you know on, ostensibly on, you know Glenn's fault right or they could be looked at that way um the the guy she anointed sheriff is about to kill their only doctor <laughs> you know whether he's a you know wife beater or not or what or what have you i mean and then you know we have father gabriel telling her you know gloom and doom and and everything yeah i i definitely think they're they're rolling toward that kind of conflict a lot quicker and very, you know, very quickly. And there's only two more episodes left this season. 
it's quick too. <laughs> I was having too much fun with all this Alexander, so it was like, wow, this is, you know, I'm getting there. Well, it's reminded me of the beginning of the season proper back at Alex, or not Alexander, at Terminus, where we thought that would last half a season or at least a good section of it, and no, it's just done in an episode. Like they're they're moving pretty fast again, and and I like The Walking Dead when it's at this pace. Certainly a far cry from the Darabont days. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so before we get to uh, the rest of our discussion and our Buster ratings and what the listeners thought and all that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, shall we, gentlemen? Let's do it. Sure. Our sponsor, of course, is DCBService.com and InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades and DCB Service are where you can go to get your comics, your comic book-related merchandise, your hats, your t-shirts, your collected editions, your, you know, your trade paperbacks, your hardcovers, your Walking Dead compendiums at deep deep discounts. With DCBS, you order your comics ahead of time before they're even hitting store shelves and they will ship them right to you in a nice box. All your stuff there at great discounts, 15, 25, 50, and sometimes even higher than that percent off uh, discounts on your floppies and you get them uh, soon after they've hit short store shelves. In stock trades, you're ordering the collected editions and of course you can also get from them, like I said, the hats, the baubles, the t-shirts, your Michonne hoodies, and all that type of Walking Dead or comic book or nerd-related in general merchandise. And again, and this is the key part, deep, deep discounts. And from a company that has great world-renowned, or at least in the geek world, uh, world-renowned customer service. Honestly, I'm mainly doing the show for the Michonne hoodies. I'm still waiting to get our free ones. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a lot of different ways. If you, want to get, if you want to check out the comics of The Walking Dead, they have the compendiums, the hardcovers, they have the... Trade paperbacks, all, as Jordan said, deeply discounted. Also, uh, anything that appears in the previews catalog that you can get at your comic book store, that includes action figures, statues, uh, as you said, clothes or what have you, uh, um, your Michonne hoodie that you were looking for, um, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, one, of, one of the featured uh, items they have on the site right now is a movie I am really psyched for this year, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, the graphic Woo! novel. Yeah, I know, that trailer is intense. I love it. Um, the uh, the uh, artist deluxe edition hardcover fifty percent off right off the bat over uh, that brings it down to twelve forty nine. Um, great great stuff and uh, great great prices. DCB service you definitely want to shop there. Absolutely, we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. So, gentlemen, let's get into our Buster ratings. Jim, we haven't heard from you in a while for our Buster ratings. So, out of five, one being the worst, five being the best, how many Busters to give this episode and why? Well, if we'd recorded a few days ago, I would have given it pie, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it four, four out of five. I, I enjoyed a lot of this episode. I thought the Noah stuff was just too much, um, more than more than we needed, <laughs> to be quite honest. And um, I don't know, some of the, some, like the, the sexual tension between Jesse and Rick really just isn't, I'm not seeing, seeing a lot of chemistry there yet, you know, uh, so far. Maybe that's just me, my reaction. Um, I thought the the stuff with Father Gabriel at the beginning was really kind of just uh, overwrought, and that really kind of uh, you know downgraded the episode a little bit in my eyes. So straight four out of five for me. Aaron, how about you? I'm about the same, a four out of five. I think the episode did lose a little bit because of how strong my reaction was to Noah's death. Um, which I mean, it doesn't come at a co- it's not like a, it's not an emotional thing. Like I was saddened by the fact that we lost a good character. I enjoyed what Noah and what Tyler James Williams had to bring to the show in general. Um, and, you know, it's always sad to see, you know, main characters that you genuinely like go. 
but I mean, it's it's less than just more of the way it was the way it was portrayed, and I thought that it was basically poor taste. And for that reason, it kind of lowers my thoughts on the episode, which was otherwise very exciting. Uh, really furthered things along, moved the pieces around. Even the Father Gabriel stuff is kind of silly as I might see it, based on the character and not the not necessarily what's being done for the show. Uh, those things just kind of dragged it down a, a little bit, but I mean, it's still a very solid episode of the the show. Well, why I totally recognize and understand uh, your guys' objections to this episode. I, like I said earlier, I just don't share them. I, I really liked this episode. I thought it fired on all cylinders. The, the various set pieces were great. The interactions between the characters were really good. I liked all the action in it, and I liked all the quiet moments as well. I really thought this episode worked, which is why I'm giving it, which I don't think I've done this in a while, uh, a second five out of five for a season. I really enjoyed this one. But who cares what we have to say about this week's episode? Jim, uh, you're connected over to the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. What did our listeners think of the episode? Well, in case you didn't know, and I would think you would know by now because we say it every single episode, but if this is your first time tuning in, uh, the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group is uh, over 600 strong now. It would be great if we got up to 666 by Halloween. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a great place to get your Walking Dead news. Also, Aaron uh, writes uh, reviews of every single episode of The Walking Dead, and the links to those reviews are also available at the Facebook site uh, group site. So if you join the Facebook group, you automatically get updated on all of those as well. But we always ask our members of the Facebook group to chime in with their reviews in the buster scale of the episode, and this is what they had to say about Spend. Uh, Brent Jones gives it a four-screw Gabriel's out of five, uh, motorcycles are terrible zombie apocalypse vehicles, but that van may as well have been a damn ice cream truck. <laughs> what, what would you play the zombie ice cream truck? You just do brains instead of the music. I don't know. I'm glad that we got back to action. We got to see the two, the new group's true colors. Uh, Gabriel's such a dickweed. When Glenn and company show up without Deanna's son, she will have more ammo not to trust them. Lots of seeds planted with only two episodes left. Uh, David B. the third, a 4.75 Internet Friends by Knife Party songs out of five. I don't know where they're taking us, but I like it. These new people are losers. Wow. Pretty harsh. Uh, Mike Jones, five faxes to Cleveland out of five. This was Day of the Dead level gore. Shades of Captain Rhodes throughout the episode. Sad to see Noah go, but I can't wait for Gabriel to die and take Pete, a.k.a. Ed 2.0, with him. Susan Monk, 4.5 further traumatized Glens out of five. Uh, Rick's group is moving in, taking all the good jobs and corrupting the children of Alexandria, and I'm okay with that. Uh, Max Sofer, 4.5 out of 5 buckets of blood. This is easily the best and most old-school gore that's ever been on the show. That was awesome. I'm generally mad that they killed off Noah, but I knew it was coming by season's end. Glenn should have just shot that guy. Seriously, what an a-hole. Chris Pierce gives us 4 out of 5 Eugene Creeper vans. Good episode overall, but I'd like to see some hints about what Coral... And Michonne may have been up to, I'll take Coral over the new cookie kid. I love hearing Coral so much. I want to just make that so popular. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I forever will refer to him always now as Coral. Thanks thanks to our friend uh, Mike Jones for that one. Mary Terpecki at 4.5. I'll never let go, Noah, out of 5. Uh, this one had it all for me. Tension, action, sorrow. The revolving door scene had me at the edge of my seat. Sorry to see Nora go, Noah go just when he's given a purpose. On the bright side, now that Gabriel has one being a douche, maybe his time will be up soon, too. Uh, Lisa Gonzalez just said, wow, five mother dicks. And I'm with you. I think we should try to pro you know, get that to be a thing, you know. Mother dick. 
uh, Brian Fuqua five there took their jobs out of five. <laughs> there were so many jaw dropping moments for us. I have to say my favorite part was Rick's super subtle facial, facial twitch upon hearing the domestic abuse news. We literally watched this episode right before going to the hospital to have our new baby girl. And as I'm typing this, we're between contractions. Congratulations, Brian. Okay. Absolutely. Congratulations. Awesome. Why are you wasting time in our Walking Dead Facebook group? I'm just kidding. There's a lot of waiting around when you're, you're having a baby. Congratulations, Brian. Uh, Robert Nigro, five quickly assembled Frankenstein motorcycles out of five. Goodbye, Noah. Good riddance. Wow, Aiden. Good luck in that Dale Carnegie class, Nicholas. <laughs> how to win friends and influence people. Uh, can't wait to see how either how they wrap up in only two more episodes this season or how they'll leave us with potentially several awesome cliffhangers. Uh, David J. Garrick, 3.5 Day of the Dead Zombie Feast references out of five. Great tension and zombie kills, but the writing was clumsy. Some terrible dialogue and messy storytelling in this one, but still mostly positive for the pace and horror. Uh, Adam Fatal, I will give this a 4.5 out of 5. It is a really strong episode. I hope we'll set up a great Season 5 finale. Uh, Ezra and Mac, four black characters getting no love out of 5. Uh, great episode. Uh, everything on point uh, crept. Oh, oh, everything on point crept the Rick and Carol scenes. Uh, the writers messing up Carol. How and how should come to that conclusion as a first option? <laughs> I know she has a history of the topic of abuse, but her behavior is a bit off. It's like when she did the BS at the prison. Uh, Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington, a five dodgy dentist inspection of Noah's wisdom teeth out of five. Uh, love this episode. Plenty of gore and great special effects, especially the demise of Noah. I haven't read the comics and was suspecting a battle with the wolves for the finale, but I'm thinking it's going to be a battle inside the walls for control of Alexandria. Can't wait for next week's episode, but uh, it's getting closer to the end of this. But gutted, it's getting closer to the end of the series. I think that's uh, um, sad. In uh, slang, in British slang, uh, Australian slang, uh, I've heard it. Before. I didn't think it was exclusive to there. I've heard it here too. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, Luke Smith, some amazing old school effects in this episode. Absolutely loved it, and he would know. He does some great effects in on his own. Uh, on a separate note, I fear that Carol should get too close, emotionally involved with that kid. She may not make it when the next zombies attack. I can see Carol actually protecting and saving that little boy from the monsters. Uh, Roger Austin, 4.5 O Revolving Doors. This is more like The Walking Dead I love. Very nice build to upcoming tensions while having some great zombie action and a main group death. Noah, we hardly got to know you. Uh, Monica Smith and Cito, 5 Devil Gabriels out of 5. What an awesome episode. I had a hard time getting to sleep last night. At first I felt a little uncomfortable about our group's possible takeover. Uh, but after last night's episode, I changed my mind. What a sorry bunch of people. Um... Mark Jones wanted to know if I was uh, back this week or still on a supply run. Yeah, I had to send a fax to Cleveland, Mike. Sorry. Uh, Jason Foss, 4.25 right crosses to the jaw. I was upset at Noah's demise, and Glenn had to watch the whole bloody thing. Abraham was awesome, and you could see new purpose in him after fighting off that swarm. I'm not understanding Carol's coldness at the moment, but there was definitely a turn after she realized what was going on. And way to take a completely uninteresting character and make him completely unlikable in a matter of moments with Gabriel. Sarah Ann Howard, wow, I just watched Spend. It had me on the edge of my seat the entire episode. Could they pack much more into one night? Abraham was on point with a walker attack and stepped right into the leadership role. He was meant to be in. Uh, Stephen Yeun's performance was spectacular. I have to give this one a 4.75 out of 5. Chest grenades. Uh, Trishel Terrell Collins, a 3.75 notes from Rosemary out of 5. The grossest scenes for me since The Well Walker. Uh, the chewing up of Aiden went on a bit long, and Noah's was just plain tragic. 
Less is more, Jennifer Lynch. Uh, Craig DiMonda, 4.75. Sayonara Noah, out of 5. Yes, this is more like it. Every episode of Walking Dead should operate at this level of action, gore, tension, and close out with Crazy Rick making plans. I despise these new characters and was glad to see Nora go. Uh, Noah go. Uh, let's be clear, I think it's more a poor choice of actors than anything else. Gabriel, hopefully you are next. Again, it's just not liking this acting of this character by Gilliam. Yeah, I think we all agree with that, Craig. Uh, we said it several times. And finally, Ian Tim's 5 out of 5, Town of Cowards, if it's their policy... Uh, is to run and leave at the first side of danger. No wonder they need more people. <laughs> I guess the brave die first in Alexandria. So if you would like to leave your comments, uh, as as many as all these people did on the next episode of The Walking Dead, then please join our Facebook group. It's uh, conveniently titled The Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook Group, because uh, this is The Walking Dead TV Podcast. And uh, join us. Thank you very much. Do we have anything else to add about this episode before we close it out, gentlemen? I have something. I, I appreciate how we've been how we've kind of handled certain internet outcries on various controversial topics, quote unquote controversial topics on The Walking Dead, and I apply that to kind of the nature of of, of Aaron's character because of how <laughs> little it matters to us because it doesn't it shouldn't matter. Um, but there's the thing now with because Noah died, which makes another black character that's died on The Walking Dead. And I, I just wanted to address that for a second, if the, if you guys don't mind. Go ahead. Um, I feel like it's it's more of, if anything, this kind of running joke that's not necessarily funny, but just something that's kind of caught on because of the fact that multiple black characters on the show have have you know have been killed or died or you know are not on it anymore in some way, and less of a. I, it's obviously there's no one at AMC or Walking Dead's going out of their way saying we should cast a black actor so we can kill him later off. That's never been the case, uh, but I shouldn't have to go out of my way to say something like that, but. There's so much more, I think, to gain from looking at what this show actually is, whereas, yes, there are some black characters that have died, along with many white characters that have died, but how about Michonne, who's like a fan-favorite character on this program, or Morgan, who's old, who's just looks like a badass and I can't wait to see him again, or having characters like Gabriel or Bob, who Gabriel is a person I don't like, while Bob was a character that was fairly likable, and they're on opposite ends of the spectrum— and my appreciation for either of those characters has nothing to do with the color of their skin. They're just like, there's so much diversity on The Walking Dead, which is way more than you can say for a lot of shows that are on television. One's like, <laughs> there's certain networks that had to basically hire on, you know, make diversity hires of entire new programs because of how many white TV families they already had on their tour. It's just like, the, the Walking Dead's doing a lot without calling attention to it. And the only attention that's being called is when something quote unquote bad happens. So it, it's... It's it's not infuriating, but it's it's more like, wh where does this go? Like, what what's the what's the solution <laughs> beyond like, hey, we found good actors and they happen to die and they also happen to be black sometimes. It's just I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I, I was thinking about this the other day because I was reading. I think you left a comment on the Facebook group about some of that. I made a vague reference to it in my review and the I, oh, I, that's I, where it was. Yeah. My only real thought about it, and, and it was kind of separate, was I, I do find it unfortunate that. In that, with the show now bringing in Alexandria and all these new characters, it does, it frustrates me a little bit that they seem to be all white. Like, granted, we haven't met everybody in the town, but it is a little weird that we've just introduced, you know, I, I'm reading all these guest stars every week, like 15 new ones and a whole bunch of back, back, background people, and they're all white. I, I would like to see more diversity, and that this was a great opportunity for them to do it, even if it was just background characters, but just to have a wide array of people instead of just a bunch of, you know, white people. 
hopefully they learn from that and they add more in the next town they add or the next group of people. But, you know, I, I, I agree with you je- definitely in spirit. There's a lot of people on the show, and guess what? Spoilers, by the end of all of it, probably all of them will be killed by zombies or other people, regardless of their ethnicity, age, gender, orientation, or anything else about them. I, um, I don't want to be the guy that says, well, there was this one guy, but there was that one woman who was making everyone's favorite meal, and she was a, she was a black character. I mean, again, yeah, it's like there's one person out of all of them, but yeah, we haven't met everybody in Alexandria, and but I right, can I right. can see where you're coming from in terms of the ones we've met a, a chunk of them, and yeah, they are all white people, which is not you know, <laughs> I'm not the one that's saying, man, why can't they always be this? Like, but it's I, I see I see where that comes from, but at the same time, it's just look, looking at what we are seeing on the show as opposed to other shows that don't do a lot of the same things. Uh, I agree, I agree completely, and I appreciate your thoughts there. The, you make a really good point, Aaron. This is one of the most you know more diverse casts. Um, and you know, mathematically, if you have a cast made of diversity, some of the people who are going to die are going to be black and some are going to be white and some are going to be Hispanic. And, uh, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, the, the diversity of, of the cast, like is, is more representative than a lot of other shows on TV, um, that I could name. So, uh, you know, I, I, I understand, I understand, you know, oh, they've killed off, you know, I, I think the, the Twitter comment I saw was, oh, they call off another, they even killed off the black horse. Uh, on the show, but um, I, I I don't I mean you know you make you make a really good point that the cast itself is really I mean for for uh, you know comparatively very uh, diverse and you know if people are going to die on the show it's a show about zombies you know it's simple mathematics that some of those people are going to be African American you know. Well, I think we're all on the same page on that issue, and hopefully our listeners are as well. But yeah, the, the internet in general is uh, is full of of people who like to be loud about lots of things. Some of them legitimate, some of them not, and some of them, they just like to be loud. That's, that's generally the internet. It's loud and slower than we'd like it to be. Anyway, uh, there's lots of things on the internet you can find out there, uh, like, for instance, hhwlod.com, which is where you can find this podcast and many other podcasts, part of the HHWLOD Podcast Network. And this is not the only podcast we are on. In fact, Aaron, you host Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Uh, what are you guys talking about this week? What are we? We're talking about Cinderella. I was like, what did we see? We're talking about Cinderella. That memorable, huh? <laughs> no, you know what? Cinderella's quite good. I would recommend it. I, I was I was very much surprised as I haven't been a fan of some of the other Disney live action fairy tale movies, but this one uh, it does a lot right. It doesn't you know reinvent the wheel, but it does a good job. And we talk about that and some other fun stuff on this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. And Jim, I know it's a big week for the DC TV podcast. At least that's what I'm hearing around Twitter and the rest of the internets. So, uh, what are you guys talking about? Well, we're uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the debut of I Zombie, which may be of uh, of use to some of the Walking Dead and zombie fans listening. Uh, the new show on the CW based on the DC comic. Uh, also, Flash and Arrow are kicking in for the ends of their seasons after taking a spring break, and a lot of really cool stuff is going on there. It's uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff to cover on DC TV uh, podcast. So. Please come check that out as well. And there are a ton of other great shows. I host Jersey Shore. We've got our newest show, The Whedonverse Podcast, which is currently making its way through Season 2 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, episode by episode, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, of course, Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, and many, many others. You can find all at hhwlod.com, and we hope you do. And you can also, of course, leave this show or any of our shows a voicemail at 972-798-3830, or you can send us an email at wdtv at hhwlod.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network. 
And so until there's no more room in hell in the dead walk of the earth, remember, I'm running this monkey farm now, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time. You know. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs> Jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a weird line. I love it. Day of the Dead, for anyone who doesn't know it. Mm. And next week on The Walking Dead, and of course, if you don't want to know anything about next week's episode of The Walking Dead, this is your cue to cut out. Have a great week, and of course, you know, skip forward and hear the bloopers or whatever fun stuff we put after the end song. But for those of you who don't mind knowing, uh, next week's episode, Season 5, Episode 15, the penultimate episode of the season, is entitled Try. And the synopsis we have from TV Guide is, Rick and the group face setbacks as existence within the walls starts to mimic life outside. And in the preview for next week, we have uh, some gunfire. We have uh, Sasha up in the sniper tower, uh, apparently sniping somebody. We have Rick and Deanna standing next to four freshly dug graves, which is interesting because we only lost for two, for sure, two characters this week and a third in critical condition. So who's the fourth and possibly, hopefully Tara's fine. So who would be the other two? I guess we'll find out soon. And in our uh, scene on The Walking Dead, we have some uh, Carl and Enid action that ends with them. Uh, looks like they might be K-I-S-S-I-N-G in a tree. Literally. Literally oh. K-I-S-S-S-I-N-G oh, in a tree. Um. <laughs> I can't help it. Every time. I gotta do it every time. No. Enid. <laughs> oh, Coral. Enid's such a terrible name. What, what, would, what, would, what would their name be? Conid? Conid. Cor- or- Coral and Enid. Cor- Corid. No, Conid the Barbarian. <laughs> nice. That would be their spawn. And for the first time ever, Carl is going to be on Talking Dead after uh, Walking Dead next week. So oh, wow, now cool I have to, to watch it. Wow. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a while. I might actually watch Talking Dead now. And it'll be uh, him and Gail Ann Hurd. I want to hear what little Coral has to say. One additional, not really spoiler thing, but it's outside of the discussion of the show enough that I figured this is probably the best place to put it. Uh, something I saw, I believe, was on Reddit, and I, I don't have the uh, the actual link next to me now, but it was an interesting note about the episode titles um, in this uh, second half of the season. And I thought, thought this was interesting. So you might remember back in the season one or two, it was when Dale was still alive, uh, he gives a speech or a, kind of a talk around the campfire to the group about... Uh, a watch and about, you know, trying to, you know, the, the watch was not just about telling time, but it was about remembering who you were and remembering the things that are important, all that kind of stuff. Remembering and the s- time, as Michael Jackson would once said. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the things that someone did was they just transcribed it and noticed that the five things that he mentions, kind of the five bullet points in that speech, are the five titles of the last five episodes of this season. Remember, forget, spend, try, and the season finale, which is titled Conquer. So there's an interesting callback to, I believe, season one, maybe early in season two, um, in in the episode titles, as we've been getting all these callbacks in the episodes themselves. Mm. So I, I find that kind of stuff pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It's like it's yeah. like when you put like a bunch of books together on the spines all aligned to something. There's something fun about the way they're going ahead on these titles every now and then, like the all those I episodes from last season and things like that. Right. And Breaking Bad had, of course, their famous one from season two, which I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't seen that. And uh, Better Call Saul this season, except for one episode, and I'm tr- still trying to figure out why this was. But every single episode has ended with O, Nacho, Hero, Five O, Bingo. Um, so I, I just that's always kind of fun to me the the thought they put into the episode titles for various shows. But I think that's about it for our discussion of The Walking Dead. Speaking of TV shows this week, so uh, have a good week, everybody. Later's. 
很放松。Three, two, one, record. It's recording again. Excellent. And I don't have that extra time. And I'm about extra waveform. Excellent. Okay. I'm about fifty-two seconds ahead of you now, so that's good. Oh, you're so far ahead of us. No, 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 no. no. Just for my edit, so I have that number there, and also we can do that way. He lives in New Jersey. This is so great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is currently a wind tunnel. My God, is it windy out there. We dropped 30 degrees since yesterday. It's going like to snow was, again on Friday. It's been it in was, the 50s and 60s. Well, it was 60, like 61 here yesterday. And right now, looking at my phone, it's like 34. And we're supposed to get snow again this weekend. Jeez. So. And, uh, and Dr. Dick, if uh, he actually brings his kids in. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. I think they're just grabbing like metal for future walls or something like that, aren't they? Or... Well, I think the, I think the walls were behind them. I think they were just kind of building off of the existing walls. It, it wasn't one hundred percent. I don't know that it really matters. It doesn't matter. No, um, you're right. I'm going to assume <laughs> they they connect somewhere. Uh, it's not just freestanding walls separate from the town, but who knows? Um, who was the guy who went off to send a fax to Cleveland? What was his name? You know, old Schmitty. Um, <laughs> is it Bruce? Is it the Bruce person? That might be Bruce. I, th- I think that's right, actually. That sounds right. Bruce from Cleveland. Anything else, gentlemen, before we close it out? No. <laughs> did, did, did I just say something really stupid? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. It was just a, a, a serious topic, and I was, I was trying to lighten the mood. Um, no, you. I think we're all on the same page. <laughs> yeah. I, I just have no natural segue. That's all. I was like. Speaking of black people, no. Um, 